This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. All right, the Denver Nuggets find themselves at a critical junction point after dropping game three and game four, looking, uh, if not overmatched, certainly looking like they didn't know what to do with the challenge. And granted, I think uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant both shot the lights out. They were terrific, but there's a concern now. Booker is clearly, uh, you know, we talked about bubble Murray, right? Uh this isn't necessarily a bubble thing, but you're talking about a guy going to another another level of the uh, the the atmosphere. That's what Devin Booker's doing right now. Now he's going to shoot 80 percent the rest of the way. I feel pretty confident he won't, but he's getting this. He's the shooting 64 percent in the series. in the whole series and and, and 57 percent plus from three point line. And now he's controlling the pace. He's yep. he's passing the ball extremely well. And That's Kevin right. Durant who has normally been somewhat reticent about going to the rim in recent years, has now decided, I can take Aaron Gordon to the rim. And get and some fouls. has been getting the fouls. Double-digit uh, free-throw attempts in both yeah. of the last two games. Right. And Durant's, kind of, the way kind of player Durant is, uh, he's going to keep doing that until you stop him. So if you're the Nuggets, Sandy, what is your very first priority when you look at finding a way to slow this down? Is it Booker? Is it Durant? Is it guarding the three-point line? Is it guarding the paint? Where do you start? I think you start, and Michael Malone suggested as much last night after the game, I think you start with uh, not only mixing personnel, maybe a little more creatively, but mixing your coverages, which he mentioned last night after the game, uh, that – there are times you double team and times you don't, depending on where they are on the floor. Um, the one thing I, I think you have to be concerned about is that to a degree, even though they scored pretty well in Phoenix, the defensive problems start when you get a little bit uncertain on the offensive end. Now, Uncertain doesn't mean a ton of turnovers because the Nuggets actually last night had 28 assists and only eight turnovers. So that's, what, three and a half to one assist to turnover mm-hmm. ratio? Yep. That's very good. Phoenix, on the other hand, had 28 assists but 13 turnovers. And yet I I thought there were moments, and, and this is where Jokic taking 30 shots, uncharacteristic for Jokic to take that many shots. He obviously had to to keep the Nuggets in the game, but that's when the lack of balance, I think, leaves other guys just standing around and not doing anything. And when they stand around, the other Phoenix defenders don't have to work as hard. And they accept that as part of the bargain that Aiton will probably get in foul trouble he won't play very well, but the other four people can rest on defense, or at least three of them can, uh, whoever's not guarding Murray. And an underrated part of Shamit's game last night, I thought, his four three-pointers in the fourth quarter overshadowed everything. But the underrated part of his game was the defensive job he did on Murray, which I thought was superb. And he was the primary defender on Murray during the course of the basketball game. So that the Nuggets have to figure out how to get into more of a flow 
and make Phoenix, not a good defensive team, make Phoenix play more defense than it's had to play in the last two games. And I I was dead wrong on this. I thought higher scoring games favored Denver and lower scoring games favored yeah, Phoenix. I don't but think in this series, it seems that Denver was better in the one game that was obviously low scoring. Every other game's been, both teams have been well over 100. Uh, Denver was better in the 97-87 game defensively. Uh, and Phoenix seems better with a faster pace and more points, at least at home. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm not convinced they'll play that way. Why don't you think Denver. that would travel? Why do you think it would travel? I think the altitude wears more. And I know Jeff Van Gundy the other day during the Laker Golden State game uh, went on a, uh, you know, and Van Gundy's great, but he went on a bit of a rant on minutes. Why are people arguing about 41 minutes versus 38, 38 versus 35? Uh, they days off between games. Minutes are over. And I, I thought, okay. And Mike Breen jumped in and he said, I think there's a lot to it. Mm. Uh, and they were talking specifically about LeBron James and Van Gundy was talking in that context. So what difference does it make? And Mike Breen said, well, for a guy who's 38 years old, you really want him playing 43 high stress minutes or do you want him playing more like 30 to 33 high stress minutes with maybe four or five minutes that aren't as stressful thrown in. And Anthony Davis has a lot to do with the stress that's put on LeBron James, but I, I, I thought Breen was, was right. And, and Breen wasn't talking, and I'm not talking about load managing guys in the playoffs. Of course not. And uh, if it's one or two minutes, no, I agree. There's not a huge difference between 39 minutes and, and 41 minutes. But I do think if you're asking as much of Durant and Booker as they have in the last couple of games, that the effects of playing at altitude will be greater if they're high-stress minutes along with the altitude. I think it will be more difficult for them to be as brilliant as they've been uh, at least in game four together last night. And in consecutive games, unprecedented as far as anybody can tell, for two guys on the same team to go 35 points or more, five rebounds or more, five assists or more in consecutive games. So, it's never, I, I'm, I'm wondering if Baylor and West didn't do it when they weren't keeping stats as rigorously. Right. But in any case, I don't see that in Denver. I don't see 36 and 36. It just I, doesn't I, I just, feel like they can do it. I, I, I don't again. think. Now, can they do it if they get a five or ten point lead early and the bench kind of maintains? Um, you know, and and I, I talked about this earlier today uh, here on these airways. Uh, people talk about the non-Jokic minutes. Well, uh, last night, Jokic was plus two, and Phoenix won by five, so they were minus seven in the non-Jokic minutes. That's not disastrous, but they were minus 12, in the non-Murray minutes. And that's why I was suggesting maybe 
actually having a pure guard coming in off the bench wouldn't be a bad idea to try. Again, for 10 or 12 minutes. Yeah. Or 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 less than that if the guy's not getting anything done. If it's Reggie Jackson or Ish Smith, Reggie Jackson has considerable playoff experience. Mm-hmm. Reggie Jackson uh, certainly, um, in, especially on nights when Caldwell Pope and Brown aren't playing very well. And those have been rare nights. But last night was one of them. I, I thought you could have gone a little deeper on the bench than he went and maybe play Jeff Green and or Brown uh, and or Caldwell Pope a little less than they played last night. Uh, Caldwell Pope was just bad last night. 34 minutes, 10 points, one rebound, one assist, one steal, minus four. It wasn't effective. Yeah, I, I, I guess I could say it wasn't effective. I don't know if he was necessarily bad, but I do see the point. And uh, I don't, I mean, Danny Bailey in, in the booth here making us sound uh, as best as, as we could. Uh, Danny's the best basketball player at, at uh, Mile High Sports. Well, I don't know about that. I'm, that's what I've heard. I haven't played against Doug Ottawa, so I don't want to okay, sell him Okay, short. Doug Doug can play a little bit. Uh, played President Obama a few years ago. Doug can play a little bit. But um, but I, I was curious, Danny, because, you know, obviously, you know, you, you've you've watched this series, too. And what are, what are you seeing from the Nuggets? To my mind, I, I mentioned this before. It's not as if Jamal Murray has played poorly. I don't think Jamal Murray has played poorly, but I think Jamal Murray has played a little bit into Phoenix's hands because when he gets crowded, he doesn't make decisions as quickly as he otherwise would. The offense tends to slow down. The ball gets sticky, and sometimes he gets forced into bad shots. Now, the shot selection wasn't that bad, but it seems that there was a lot more of just Jokic and Murray in the two-man game and getting away from the team game, the team scoring game, that gave the Nuggets such an advantage in the first two games. You know, what what have you seen over the course of this weekend that went awry compared to those first two wins? Well, obviously credit to Devin Booker because Uh, like you guys mentioned, he's having a historic playoff run. Um, And Kevin Durant is also going to get his. But what seems the the most different from games one and two and games three and four are the Nuggets not really setting the pace because in games one and two, the physicality and kind of making Phoenix slow down played to their advantage. And then you get back to Phoenix. Phoenix starts running a little more without Chris Paul, as you guys said, in hour one. And that just played right into their hand. Denver a little bit holy on defense at times. Mm -hmm. And that's been kind of their problem all year is they'll have nights where they are locked in on defense, like games one and two, and they do very well. Uh, And then if they get out of that mindset and it's not as much of a focus, I don't think that they can win a series against the Suns out shooting them. They have to, they have to really lock them down. I want to pick up on that last point because I think you're exactly right about that. Yeah. You don't want this to be a three-point shooting contest. Remember after game one, we were talking about how the math with Denver hitting threes and Phoenix preferring the mid-range game, the math didn't work. Well, Phoenix is shooting a hell of a percentage, at least in the last two games, from three-point land. And the first game, the Nuggets made 16 threes and Phoenix made seven. In the game last night, the Nuggets made seven threes threes phoenix made 13 almost a total flip from game one to game four if it's a three-point shooting contest in terms of percentages nuggets gonna lose 
Nuggets are going to lose. If that's the, the, the thing on which the series turns, three-point shooting accuracy, it, if you're the Nuggets, you don't want to play that game. You, yeah, they, you don't absolutely want to play not. that game. Absolutely not. And they might be able to get a win one time out shooting them if they have somebody that has a night like Landry Shamit had where they hit a bunch of extra threes off the bench. That'll give them a boost. But I don't see them doing that more than just maybe one game. And I'm not even confident they and, can really do it for one and game. you cannot allow Phoenix to shoot 29 free throws when you only shoot 23. Now, that doesn't negate the advantage in field goal attempts. And the Nuggets had an advantage there, 89 to 81, because they turned the ball over five fewer times. That was the man. And the offensive rebounding was a little bit uh, tilted in favor of Phoenix, but not much. I think it was 12 to 10 in favor of Phoenix. But you can't get – this is a team that doesn't get free throws. Now they're running and they're getting to the line. Or at least Durant nine free throw attempts. Mostly Durant. Mostly Durant. Right. And not as much Booker, actually. That's what makes Booker's performance even more extraordinary. Until the last minute of the game on Friday night, he didn't take a free throw. And he was in the mid-40s <laughs> on jump shots. On jump shots. Uh, occasional drives to the basket. But it wasn't like they were fouling him. Maybe they should have been. <laughs> yeah. Fouling him a little more. Because he couldn't have done better than 100% uh, at, at the line. And he, of course, is a great free throw shooter. But, you know, I... I just uh, and I, I, w- I want to set the record straight. I was a little off on the non-Murray uh, plus-minus minutes, of which there were only six last night. There were minus ten, not minus twelve. But okay. the the point remains that they didn't really, when Murray wasn't in the game, on on both offense and defense, they they didn't have a lot of answers. And I'm not saying that Murray should guard Booker. Uh, any more than Booker necessarily guards Murray all the time. Right. I think the idea with both is you put them on the lesser uh, threats so that they're preserved for offense. Um, I think Booker is a better defensive player than Murray is, but Phoenix is already asking Booker to do an awful lot without having him chase Murray all over the place, even when Murray has the ball and probably is dribbling a little too much. But that's the other thing. I, I think Danny with with the Nuggets uh, is too much dribbling going on. Too much, and call it uh, as Sean did earlier, sticky ball syndrome. But the, it, it was sticky ball syndrome, and there was too much dribbling in yeah. the two games. I and think. we've seen a lot throughout this season that the Nuggets can run, and when they do run, they can run other teams off the court. But they choose a lot of the time to not play that offense, and I think that kind of takes that takes them out. Yeah, that takes them out of that offensive uh, of that rhythm. If you can get running and get moving and free up space, it it allows all those other guys to get open shots. And that was another thing where the Nuggets missed a lot of open shots, and the Suns were making their open shots. And maybe that was part of the Jokic deal, deep down. And you kind of suggested that earlier. Jokic is like, even at the end of the half when the score is, you know, 60-62 or whatever it was, Jokic is like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. He's trying to push the pace. He's trying to push it. And, you know, did he go about it the perfect way? No. But I think his intent was, uh, you know, yeah, hey, we got a guy sitting in the stands for Phoenix. We're five on four. But let's go. Let's go. The... 
the over dribbling has to stop. The passing around has, and, and there are other impacts in this. And I understand that Michael Porter Jr. did not shoot well in Game Four, and and did tend to drift. But again, I, I mentioned this earlier in the program, and I'll mention it again in basketball, like in every sport, but basketball maybe more than most team sports. The the personality matters a lot. There's just not many as players on the court, and so. Murray's tendency to over dribble when the game is not going in a way and he's comfortable also plays into Michael Porter Jr., who, when he is not consistently involved, his attention seems to drift. He drifts. And he, yes. he floats out by he the three point line and doesn't focus on Figuratively and literally, he drifts. Yes. And, and this is just the kind of this is the kind of thing that Michael Malone and his staff is going to have to address. Uh Obviously, Porter Jr. knows he's not supposed to do that. Murray knows he's not really supposed to over-dribble. Enough. But but human beings do what human beings do, especially in moments of stress. And so, in Murray's case, I think he's been slowing... To my mind, Murray's been the, the culprit slowing it down more than Jokic, more than anybody oh, else. Oh, sure. Murray's been the guy slowing sure. it down. Yeah. And Murray's the player that Jokic plays better when he's playing at full speed. Perfectly willing and, and able to run. That's Contrary where, to what certain people say, and then we get into the whole, well, he's not really an athlete, and he doesn't look like uh, uh, a great player. Well, I, I don't know. To me, he looks exactly like uh, many centers down through the years, but none of those other guys play like Jokic plays. Right. The, the idea, I mean, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant's the one who doesn't look, I mean, he's thin as a rail. Right. And I know he's strong, and he's gotten stronger through the years, but he's as thin as a rail. Having a, a, a 6'11", 7-foot guy with his agility, I, I mean, that's what's unprecedented. That's what's uh, it, part of his greatness. Jokic is one a better athlete than people think and built like a lot of big men are built i mean uh, you you you've got people who weigh more than jokic who play center in this league but they they aren't as nimble um i know athleticism has this crazy narrow definition yeah that's sort of strange but Hand-eye coordination, to me, is part of athleticism. Of course. And he's got it in spades. Yep. Now, does it make him a great rim protector? No. Uh, has Phoenix figured out that, wow, if we attack the basket, especially with pace, they aren't going to react that well. They don't have a pure shot blocker, and they don't run back on defense. Gee. Maybe we can take advantage of that. It took them two games to figure that out. The question is, and you posed it earlier with some concern, does the fact that they figured it out give them an edge on Denver's court tomorrow night? Right. Rather than obviously as it has on their own home floor. We will obviously uh, find out, but it is worth noting, uh, too, that when you're talking about uh, the situation with the, the the Suns owner and for Nikola Jokic, you know, the question would be suspension or a fine. Well, we have the answer to that. We'll tell you next on My Life Sports. With my big black boots and an old suitcase, I do believe I'll find myself a new place. 
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Moments ago, after the NBA's discussion about uh, potential suspension or fine for Nikola Jokic, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN points out that the league has decided to fine Nikola Jokic $25,000. There does not appear to be any further punishment or penalty. No penalty to Suns owner Matt Ishbia. And Ishbia earlier in the day said that he hoped that Jokic would neither be suspended nor fined if Ishbia was smart. He would offer to, at minimum, split that fine with Jokic or pay it entirely and just defuse this situation. Right. I agree. And he may yet do that. We'll see. Um, To me, if there was discussion, it was either exceedingly brief or non-existent. Because About a suspension? I can't imagine they even considered it. If you're fining a guy $250,000, let's say, that probably means you gave some consideration to suspending him. And in lieu of suspending him, you're socking him with a significant fine. Although Jokic could certainly afford to pay even that amount of money right. quite easily. All right. The fact that it was only 25000 tells you that there was no serious consideration given whatsoever to the notion of suspending him. None. None. In fact, they probably, when they talked to him, and I'm sure they gave him a call, if for no other reason to inform him that he was being fined, they said, listen, just, you know, we, we're we going to hit you with a piddling fine. Just, just stay out of that area. It, it, it's not a federal offense. It's not a capital crime. But just don't do it again. <laughs> that's all. And we're, we're going to slap you on the wrist, and 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 that's it. But the, the situation was adjudicated fairly on the spot at the time, and everybody moves on now. And, uh, you know, the Nuggets will pay the fine. I didn't. I didn't like. I didn't like the technical, but it, it is what it is. What the interesting one is, of course, the last two minute report of the NBA yeah. came out in the game too. And with twenty seven seconds left in the game, DeAndre Ayton and Nikola Jokic went up for a jump ball. It was one twenty three, one twenty. Phoenix at the time. Both teams were in the bonus when it comes to fouls. The NBA report, and you may have seen it during the game. You may have seen it post game. Is that the NBA said that? Basically, the referees missed it, uh, that in that in that uh, play, Aiton holds Jokic's right shoulder down. That should have been called a loose ball foul, which meant that instead of it, instead of Phoenix getting the ball and then getting fouled and going to the free throw line with a three-point lead, Jokic should have gone to the, fo- to the free throw line with an opportunity to cut it to one with and 27 the seconds left. And fouled and maybe gotten the ball back and, with a chance So, I mean, to that's die, a pretty but... significant... Wiped yeah, out there and by I, the I, official. I thought it was a missed call. During but a I also jump, thought what else it wasn't are you watching. It was during a jump. Right, right. What are you? How are you missed uh, that? Okay, it's the um, only thing that's happening I, on the I court. I didn't think overall it was a particularly good night for the official. Uh, no, on, on on both ends, on on both ends, and and I didn't think Friday was a great night uh, either. But uh, I, I didn't think they ruined the game on either night. But. I didn't think the officiating was terribly good. And, and again, the talk of this being any kind of physical uh, series, I, I thought on occasion they they were overly officious to uh, 
quote the old Marv Levy line on NFL films. Right. Um, I don't know that I would call them jerks, but they were really <laughs> officious, uh, especially last night. I, I didn't think it was a especially well-officiated game, but um, I, I, I don't think the outcome uh, would have been much different, and I thought they missed up on Phoenix uh, as well as missing that one. And, that they, you know, they issue these two-minute reports, and that's why they issue them. Uh, to catch uh, calls that are clearly missed. And if there are too many of them by a particular official or a crew, uh, those guys don't get to work as much. Well, that will be uh, what's what's happening in this game. is not a huge deal, obviously. I mean, you know, it would be a big deal for me, probably a big deal for you, but not a huge deal uh, for Nikola Jokic, who makes a, uh, an extraordinary amount of money. So uh, that's obviously just the way it kind of uh, goes and now at least uh, that all ends the I, I do hope that the next game at least back in Phoenix that that Ishbia is not sitting on the sideline but I suspect they're he'll be there because if no punishment by the the league I don't think they're going to do anything and I don't know I, I would well, I would take I know it didn't help Ishbia not so much where he was sitting but um the person with whom he was sitting. Isaiah Thomas? And I'll leave it at that. And, you know, I I don't know quite how he does it, given the tatters in which his reputation resides among reasonable people. But, you know, I see him sitting next to Ishbia, and I'm thinking he's going to have some kind of role <laughs> in the Phoenix Suns organization. Unbelievable. Uh, proven incompetent as a general manager, as a coach, uh, bad person, uh, you know, uh, who was guilty, pronounced guilty of sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, just a despicable person. And the fact that he he's featured on NBA TV, you see him all the time. Uh, he, he was mentioned uh, in almost reverential terms by Grant Hill last night, who ought to know better. But I guess they're both former Pistons, and Pistons stick together. I guess. But uh, obviously just sort of a strange situation here. And uh, it, it's it's they're just move on. It, it's whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. The... Interesting point about this, too, when you look at this series, and, and, and obviously, Nikola Jokic needs help. I mean, when you have back-to-back games, like Jokic has had in these two losses, one game, 30 points, 17 boards, 17 rebounds. The next game, 53 points, 11 assists. And you somehow lose both of those games. That's pretty remarkable. And... That's where, while the Nuggets played very well, I, I think we're sort of undervaluing how good Nikola Jokic is. And I, I will I will make this... Uh, I'll try to make this as, as delicately as I can, but I think it's a fair assessment. I think when the Denver Broncos went to three Super Bowls in four seasons and lost them each time in more embarrassing fashion, that was a team, and I... I Really don't mean any disrespect. It's obviously big teams. And there were some tremendous defensive players. But on that offense, there was sort of the notion, and not entirely unfair, there was John Elway and a 
bunch of people that John Elway helped make. And uh, when you talk about, you know, re- receivers, obviously Shannon Sharp did a different situation, but, um, you know, the, the running game was with a, a Sammy Winders, with a Gerald Will Heights, uh, with the Vance Johnsons or the, the Clarence K's of the world. And a lot of the time the, the Broncos got to that peak and Elway was good enough to get them to those Super Bowls and then just, at that right. point, the talent ran out. Then you had to have a team. The and Denver Nuggets, it is really worth noting, not only does Nikola Jokic not have an all-star teammate on this roster, true, he doesn't have anyone who's ever been an all-star on this true. roster. Also not true. once. Also true. And I have worried when this series started that the Nuggets might have maxed out where Nikola Jokic can take talent because there was the the mistake, I think, we saw with the Broncos in the 80s of the idea was, you know, was Vance Joseph a star or Vance Johnson a star? Pardon me. No, no but he played very well with John Elway. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Uh, Austin Colley played rather well with Peyton Manning. I mean, that these things happen. Well, but- yeah, and, and the same is true with Mark Jackson, and I, I like Vance, and I, I, I like Mark, uh, and – Yet, I, I think Vance and Mark would be the first to say they benefited, benefited a hell of a lot more uh, from playing with John Elway than John Elway benefited from. But are, are we sure that this Denver series. Nuggets team obviously take you know take off Booker and, and Durant? Who you know you, you can. I don't know what order you want to put Jokic, Booker, and Durant. I don't know. I don't care because you can make an argument for any of the three right now, whichever order the players, the best player, most important. But. The idea coming into the series was the concept that the, the Nuggets were a deeper, better team. Right. Are we sure that's more true? complete team? Are we sure? How much of that is really just sort of propped I, up by Nikola Jokic, well, making guys, making teammates look better I, than they really are? Sure. I, I I think there's a lot to that. Uh, part of being a superstar is making your teammates better. Uh, the reason Jamal Murray's never been an All Star is that although he has had his fair share of individual exploits. Uh, there's no real evidence that he's made teammates better. Uh, he works well with Jokic on the two-man game, but a lot of people would work well in a two-man game with Nikola Jokic. And he's a guy that's averaged over his career 16.9 points per game. That's not no, all-star count? No, not really. And, and you know, he's, he's one of those combo guards. Uh, he's not really a point guard uh, on this team. He's not purely a shooter. Uh, other than Jokic, he's second on the team in assists. You have an unusual situation here where you have a master playmaker. I mean, he's one of the top two or oh, three yeah. a uh, unicorn. leaders in assists every single year and may one day lead the league in assists, although unlike Wilt Chamberlain, that is an objective of Nikola Jokic. If you ask him what his career objectives are, leading the league in assists or scoring or rebounding, uh, which he could easily do if he decided that was – the, the sole goal, focus, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I agree. as it was with Wilt at times, uh, great as Wilt was, obviously, uh, if that mattered to Jokic, he could do that. It's it's a team that's constructed uh, in some ways uh, traditionally, but in other ways uh, not at all in a traditional way. Uh, I think we've seen in this series. I think this is fair. I'm not. I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this that's fair. I think we have seen in Booker and Murray, who both went to Kentucky but never played together. Right. 
in the one and done system. Could you imagine if they could have oh, right? Goodness. Imagine if they had played oh, together. That court, that would have been. Yeah. Um I think we have seen in this series, and maybe throughout the playoffs so far, that Booker with Paul either injured and out entirely or however gradually moving into a lesser role we have seen and Kevin Durant is the, the John the Baptist the <laughs> figure for uh, Devin Booker we have seen Kevin Durant says I'm I'm following his lead he ain't following mine I'm following his lead it's you know I think the term his team is overused sure but in this case, you have Durant saying, "No, no, I'm, I'm reading he's off. He's playing him. off of Booker, he's and I not agree with reading him. Reading off me, I agree. And you know, Booker has the it. ball more than Durant does. Um, I, I think Booker and Durant have developed out of necessity, not design, not innovation, uh, <laughs> but out of necessity, they have had to accelerate their process of getting to know each other." and clicking together, and, Durant's and no the dummy. Paul injury facilitated that. So I think we've seen Booker emerge as a full-fledged superstar, and Murray as a guy, certainly in game one, who can occasionally be even Batman to Jokic's Robin. Murray was the best player in game one. Booker has been the best player, Since. clearly, in the last two games, mm-hmm. better than Durant, better than Jokic, better than Murray. He's been the best player on the floor for two straight games. Murray, you need Murray to win a series. You need Murray to be your best player once or twice at most. Uh, Jokic is going to be your best player 75% of the time. He, he's going to be your best player and almost as often be the best player on the floor. That hands down, best player on the floor. And the fact that Booker has commanded the tempo of this series kind of set the terms, certainly in the last two games, leads the question, all right, who's going to be setting the terms tomorrow night? The guard who traditionally would have the ball more or the unicorn center who, with just a little bit of help, from the Murrays, and especially from the Porters Porter and, and Gordon. the Gordons, and maybe Bruce Brown, uh, Christian Brown defensively. Uh, it, it, some of it, this challenge is on Michael Malone's shoulders to to create combinations that at least defensively get. Nuggets have no trouble scoring in this series. They don't have trouble no, generating no. points. They shot over 56% last night. They turned the ball over five fewer times, and they lost the basketball game anyway. Right. Uh, Indicators that are usually favorable. They they took eight more shots. They only took six fewer free throws. So they were plus five in effect in shot attempts. They should have won uh, all that considered, but they lost because from the three-point line, Phoenix scored 39 points and Denver scored 21. Well, the push for the postseason is on for hockey and hoops. Make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experience bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Right now, if you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. 
Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Sandy, earlier in this series, what were we hearing? We were seeing stories all over town that Aaron Gordon was the most valuable Denver Nugget. What happened, and how does he get back to it? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I love how Danny Bailey's been trying to calm me down with the music on a Monday here. Mellow. <laughs> Before the show, sitting uh, sit down talking with him a little bit, like, ah. You're in a sour mood today. I, I am. I Uncharacteristically am. sour. I am. I, Pessimistic I, about I, the Nuggets' chances. Don't like the way they're playing. Game five. I really well, don't. I don't like the way they're playing, but they're playing that way on the road. Phoenix we'll is see. playing a better game at home, and we'll see what tomorrow night brings. I am exceedingly curious about it. Um, I, But I, I don't believe in momentum. In in a playoff series so much because I I don't know that one game carries over to the next. And I also think when there's a gap, maybe on a back to back night, which they don't do in the playoffs, there's something. That. But uh, I agree with you when there's when there's a break, uh, it can happen in a back to back night. It can happen in baseball because you play every single day and you can kind of be seeing something a little better. But I agree with you. I don't think momentum carries from game to game. But I do think that tactics do. And one of my concerns, well said, is that Kevin Durant, who in the first two games kind of was a little nervous about being physical with, with Aaron Gordon, stayed out and kind of popped threes. He's given up on that and realized, wait, I can take Aaron Gordon to the basket. Right. And now, all of a sudden, in the last two games alone, Kevin Durant has 29 free throw attempts. Mm-hmm. 29. How many did he have in the first two games? Uh, I have to look it up for you, but I did, well, it was Not relatively many. minimal. I mean, the team very didn't get any at all. And so Durant has changed his tactic. Now that Booker, and, and you talked about it in the last segment, Durant has been following Booker's lead. And of course he has. He's not stupid. He's 34 years old, and guess what? This guy's going to make my life easier. They have to double him. They have to make sure they do what they can to stop him. That makes it easier for me. Durant, by the way, in the first two games, six free throw right. attempts. Total, 29 and in the last two. Let's, let's be mindful of the fact that the Nuggets Some of that's have on taken Aaron Gordon. in this series 11 more free throws than the Suns have taken, but that gap was gargantuan after two games. It has narrowed considerably in the last two. And I look at Durant, and I can't add anything more to what you said about what Durant's doing on offense. You're exactly right. Defensively, though, I, I think, uh, there, there were two great points that Grant Hill made last night. We talked about one of them earlier. Without saying the Suns are better without Chris Paul, he illustrated an example of uh, the Suns running when with Chris Paul they would not the have The pace benefits run. Booker and Durant and some of their bench guys. Yes. Uh, that that of find themselves like a Shamadu, then of finds course. himself in position with the occasional right. lapse in coverage. You, you, you find a soft spot, and, yep. and then you have an open exactly. shot. You saw it. Exactly. But... He also made the point 
that Durant defensively, at least in the last two games, became sort of a rover on defense because Gordon was standing around the three-point line so right. uh, so often. And that's the shot they want Gordon we, we to We told take. him about that. They're that perfectly exactly, comfortable. They want him and I understand he's hit 41.7% of his threes in this series. But they want him taking the three-point shot. He can do damage. He can draw fouls. He can force Durant to guard when he's placed where he should be, and that's in the pain area. He does not have, he being Durant, does not have to defend Gordon when Gordon's standing on the outside. He can act as a rover or perhaps a better term, a free safety. Grant Hill uh, went into uh, some detail in explaining how Durant was functioning, uh, reading the offense uh, and successfully disrupting the Nugget offense without having to play really much straight-up defense at all on one guy. If they put Gordon where he should be situated, Durant has to play some defense. And maybe he won't be quite as aggressive on offense if he's worn down either physically by playing Gordon on the inside or in foul trouble as a result of having to play Gordon a little bit on the inside. If Gordon's staying out three-point line, Kevin Durant won't commit more than a couple of fouls a game. It, it, at least while and Aaron Gordon is in the game. You've he, got he, to he won't, he won't have to get him that. to move around at altitude. And, you, you've got to make him burn some energy here. And, and a great defensive player is not necessarily uh, a guy who just steals the ball a lot, but at the same time, he's not necessarily a great straight-up defender. He is disruptive. And Durant has been more disruptive mm-hmm. defensively in the last two games than he was in the first two games here. You've got to make Booker and Durant defend. And we talk about it in hockey all the time. What do you do with the top scoring line? You try to put people on the ice who will not only slow them down a little bit, but be skilled enough to maybe every third shift make that line defend. Make Mm -hmm. them play without the puck. Keep those guys, McKinnon, Rantanen in particular, in their own end. Now, that's easier said than done, but that's the idea. And in basketball terms, scores who are averaging well over 30 points a game in the playoffs and in this series, Booker and Durant, you have to make them defend energetically. And when... I saw and uh, I saw his ex, uh, saw what he was explaining and heard him make that point about Durant being a rover. I'm saying that's exactly what Phoenix wants. It, it, he's a great free safety on defense because he has size, he has agility, he can he's experienced enough to read the offense and he can disrupt an offense if he really doesn't have to guard anybody. And the Nuggets have too many guys on the floor at any given time that you don't have to guard. And if there's one thing you take away from our program today, it's that point. The Nuggets have to be, as much as they've scored and at times easily in this series, it's got to be more than Jokic and Murray. got to diversify. You, you can't have three other guys just standing nope. around so that their three defenders can rest 
or be disruptive on that end of the floor. Yep, and I think that is that summary, Sandy, was the problem with these two games. At the, the Nuggets, and this is, uh, I, I said this before the series, one of my major concerns. When the team is not going well out of the gate, Jamal Murray tends to try to put the team on his shoulders, go with the two-man game, and, and it's not all on Murray, don't get me wrong, but this is a particular thing that Murray tends to do, and we've seen it in both these games. It was worse in game three, better in game four, but still the same problem. The ball can't stay in Jamal Murray's hands as long as it is because not only are you removing the impetus to move around for your teammates, you are making it easier for the Suns who understand you you collapse a little bit on Murray, you'll freeze, the shot clock will go down, your early offense vanishes entirely while Jamal decides what to do. That's been the problem. If the Nuggets are going to beat the Suns, they have to do it with a diversified offense. I get it. Michael Porter Jr. shot badly. You know what your option is? Go back to him again because you only have so many people that can score. Aaron Gordon is not a a guy that you want to go out there and get 20 points, but you know what? He's been playing well. You need him to be more aggressive and score. The, the, The guys on this team that can actually go get points, there are four of them, maybe five if you can't Bruce Brown if he's aggressive. And that's it. And and you are not going to beat the Suns if Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon do not start getting more points per game. Some of that is on them to be more aggressive. And some of that is on Murray to make sure he's involving them throughout the entire game. I do agree with the TNT guys, though, that that, that it really is more on Gordon because Durant is the guy who's guarding Gordon. And he can rest if Gordon's standing out of the three-point line. Gordon needs to be productive and more aggressive, and he needs to play closer to the basket than he's been playing. That's a good point, because Josh Okogie is doing that. And listen, uh, you know. Not worried about him. Porter would be fine at about half the cost, uh, and and you you could accept his limitations. This is a max player we're talking Mm -hmm. about, and I know this is a bigger picture subject, and we're out of time for today, but in the long term, giving Porter that max contract that Tim Connolly gave him years ago, uh, I think is going to uh, be an albatross around the neck of the Nuggets for many, many years to come, and maybe even as we speak. It's possible, and certainly that's a bigger issue for the CBA and how much new deals come in. We'll see for all that. The only thing that's important is tomorrow they need to get a win. We'll pay closer attention to that. want to thank everyone for interacting on the uh, the text line. Appreciate it. Uh, Danny Bailey in the booth making uh, everything sound good. Thanks to Spencer Patterson setting in, by the way, making sure we look good on video or at least as good as we can look. You know, we're on radio for a reason. It's not for, at least not for my fine looks. (laughs) I always worry about the camera. Like, ruins the part that was actually good is what it sounds like. But what are you going to do? We'll be back tomorrow with more on this Game 5 in particular. And uh, obviously, a lot to discuss. So, for Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here. We'll be gone, but Mile High Sports continues next. Escape, escape.